Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolfe. Today is a very special day for our show. Over the last five and a half years, we have been so fortunate to produce 200 episodes of Education Matters. These episodes tell the story of why public education in North Carolina is so important for our children, families, and communities. We have had discussions ranging from the potential impacts of school-related legislation to spotlighting the many innovations that educators implement across our schools. To mark this milestone, we have with us today the North Carolina Teachers of the Year from the last five years who will share their reflections as well as their hopes and predictions for the years to come for North Carolina public education. We will also have Dr. Dudley Flood joining us for the final word. And before we transition to the first segment, I'd like to do a special shout out to our producer, Shannon Campbell. Shannon has been here for all 200 episodes and we could not do this work without her. I am just thrilled to be joined today by the last five North Carolina State Teachers of the Year, starting in 2017 with Lisa Godwin and then Freebird McKinney, Mariah Morris, Maureen Stover and Eugenia Floyd, this year's North Carolina Teacher of the Year. This is a group of all-stars. I'm thrilled to have you all here today. And I would love to start out by hearing from you about what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in education and what do those look like right now? One of the biggest changes that we've really seen happen in education is because of the pandemic, we've had the opportunity to really shift our focus on the way we're meeting our students' needs. So we have always had students with very unique and very diverse needs within classrooms and across our state. And now because of the pandemic, teachers have been able to utilize a lot of the tools that they gained and a lot of the different strategies and methods that they learned during the remote teaching period to truly personalize education for each one of our students. And that's really important because we really do need to meet each one of our kids exactly where they are and design instruction in a way that helps them harness their greatness and to really develop their strengths and to specify exactly where their weaknesses are and design activities and lessons and different things that our students can do to really help them um, build on those strengths and, and to be able to address those weaknesses. And so um, I'm really excited when I visit classrooms and I see teachers who have really harnessed that opportunity to, to personalize learning for each of their kids and to truly make education something that is designed for their students. One of the big changes that I've seen come out in the last five years really touches on what Maureen um, started the conversation with, and that is understanding that our students are human beings first and foremost, and that all human beings have um, a very pluralistic um, strength-based opportunity to shine in our schools. So they are not single um, students, but they bring to the table all different unique aspects of who they are. And I think in education right now, we're recognizing how important it is to understand um, what our students bring to the table in terms of their strengths. Um, I'm a firm believer in multiple intelligences and understanding that our children and our students all have something positive to offer the world. And it's really up to us to harness that. Um, but then also understand that there are um, different groups of students who have been systematically not brought to the table. And I think in the last five years, we're recognizing that. We have to be culturally responsive. We have to understand the unique needs of our students who bring neurodiversity to the table, who come from historically marginalized communities, um, who might have different identities, 
um, that they are learning themselves. And all of that is on the table right now and that we have to recognize and affirm all of the, our identities. The first one was student health and well-being and, and the trauma. And, you know, previously, I think the statistics kind of show that within the 30 to 40 percent range, our students had experienced trauma prior to COVID. And really, when you look at COVID and the impact that it's had on our families and on our communities, you could argue that that is 100 percent now. So I think the biggest change is all of our students and all of our staff and, and our teachers have experienced some level of, of trauma due to COVID. And here we see students and, and teachers making a pivot that really allowed them to look and address like, how COVID's impacting their lives, both academically, but also through a mental health perspective. And, you know, it was humbling to watch this transformation because as our students were learning, you know, how to do digital learning, how to understand their learning styles and their shifts, they're also dealing with the impact of what's going on at home and around the world. And teachers did the same thing. I mean, they made unbelievable and quick changes in a two-week period to move from a traditional face-to-face -face classroom to, uh, you know, to a, a remote learning class. It, it was humbling to watch that. And I think if anything that we, that we come out of this on the other side is, is how do we harness that? How do we harness that level of innovation, that level of flexibility, the new understanding of what education can be from a multitude of, of delivery? And then also, you know, what that means uh, and the impact of, of that social emotional and the resiliency that was developed and the flexibility again in our students. And, and I think those are the biggest changes that I see. And I wanna harness that, like what can we do as a state to now use those changes and how we adapted to those in our new testing and accountability models and in the ways that we look at our schools and in the way that we support them. How do you respond when someone says, oh, well, you know, what's happened in the last couple of years and where kids are? How do you help us see is where we're going next? I'm very privileged in the fact that I get to sit in a board meeting every month with Maureen. And one of the things Chairman Davis says often is our children are watching us. But not only are they watching, they're listening to how we talk about them, especially right now more than ever. And the last thing I want my children, the students in my class to feel is that in some way they are, they have a deficit and having a deficit mindset can be more damaging than we can imagine for children. One of the things I think that I will say that I am deeply concerned about is how we continue to have the conversations. We wanna make sure that we always leave with hope and there is hope in the work that we're doing. I am ecstatic to see so many people wanting to engage in a conversation. We as educators will we'll be honest, like sometimes in a school building, you feel like you're the only one in the school building working really hard for kids and you're alone in this work. But we are seeing a heightened number of folks across our community, across our state, really trying to engage in the work of education. Um, and I think it might've been because they saw that great pivot. I call it the great pivot. When I went from 
teaching in front of my children to suddenly, oh, we're online today. Um, that happened in the span of a weekend for some of our educators. And being able to do that and seeing someone take their job at that level, I, I see that people are really interested in seeing how they can support for. I'm hopeful that we can continue to have conversations so that that support can be directed in the right places. I think that's something that we definitely want to um, look forward to and continue to engage in as well. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you've seen and what we need to do as a state and locally in order to support our students. Moving forward, I would love to see the General Assembly and our state board and our district boards um, invest in human capital uh, to, to recognize that, that we need um, great educators in the classroom, but we also need teacher assistants, we need nurses, we need social workers, psychologists, counselors, we need bus drivers. Bus drivers are that first point of, of uh, saying good morning to a student. They start that day for that student. So, you know, all of the, the different support staff is vital to helping our children grow whole child, mind, body, and spirit. And so uh, I would love to see investments made in people over programs uh, and, and just get, get more people in to help our children uh, make more gains. I truly believe that the things that we say impact our children. And when I hear the term learning loss, it really pains my heart because I don't see that my children lost anything during these times of, of teaching virtually or um, doing cohorts. They made gains. Yes, it wasn't to the expectation of maybe what a normal year would show of growth, but they grew. And we need to acknowledge that and, and make our children proud of the accomplishments that they made during this very difficult time. And also acknowledge the work that the teachers did because they worked so hard they did pivot quickly and and they really did hold true to the term we can do hard things we did hard things and we succeeded we will be back after the break to continue the discussion with our state teachers of the year education matters is brought to you each week in part by participate learning uniting our world through global learning Welcome back. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you've seen and what we need to do as a state and locally in order to support our students. We need to always keep the children at the center of the conversation. Those 1.5 million kids that we have enrolled in North Carolina's public schools are the most important piece and the most important stakeholder in any conversation that we're having about education. And so whenever I'm in a conversation where we're talking about educational reform or we're talking about ways that we can prioritize education in our state, I think it's very important that we always consider the kids first. Um, and that, with that, we also need to consider what is the ultimate goal of our public education system. And I think the ultimate goal for our public education system is to graduate kids from our K-12 programs 
who are ready to go to take on whatever they want to do in their post-secondary life. And so what I would really love to see is just as Lisa said, let's invest in people, not programs. Because when we invest in the people and when we ensure that we have highly qualified educators who love teaching and are committed to improving their teaching practice, when we have classified staff that is as invested in our students as everyone else in the school building, when we have engaged administrators, local school boards, state school boards, a general assembly that prioritizes educational initiatives and finds ways to fund what we need to ensure our kids have the resources that they need in their classrooms to be successful, that is how we improve education. And that is how we get kids exactly what they need while they're going through our TK-12 system so that when they graduate, they are ready to go to harness their dreams and to live their best life because they've been empowered by our public education system. A wonderful step in investing in our people over our programs is to find a way to fully compensate our teachers for the work that they are doing. We know that North Carolina, alongside other states with around the nation, um, is facing a teacher shortage right now. And we expect that to increase over the upcoming months. Um, I firmly believe that part of the solution to our upcoming teacher shortage is investing financially in our teachers and telling them that they are worth it and that we see and value the work they are doing. Additionally, I want to say we have to be very specific over the people that we are investing in. Do our teachers and do our school-based personnel um, look like the students in which they serve? Are we investing in BIPOC teachers and BIPOC leaders within our education systems? I firmly believe that our students have to be able to see themselves in their schoolhouses in order to have a positive educational identity. And we won't do anything academically and we won't be able to graduate students who are ready to take on the workforce and their college of choice or the military if we are not building positive identities from the time they step into our pre-K and our kindergarten classrooms. And that belongs in creating a workforce in our schools that mirrors the students in which we serve and having culturally relevant teaching strategies at the forefront of everything we do. I'm a true believer that people will go, they will continue to do the great things that they're doing, but people like things done with them, not to them. And so when we decide, when we are making decisions on these investments, I'm a true believer that the two groups that have to be at every decision-making table are teachers and students, because those are the people engaging in the work every single day. Um, the children are our stakeholders and the educators are also the implementers of the work. So we have to make sure that there is room at the table for all voices to be heard. And I think that that's a really important investment as well as making sure that equity in all its forms are also at the table as well um, when we are considering the needs of our children. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things I just wanted to plug in there whenever we're having conversations they need to be at the table. I would love to get your moment of hope. Um, what gives you hope as we move forward? You know, what do we take away from the, the last two years moving forward? Um, and, you know, beginning back in, in with House Bill 1043 uh, at the very beginning of, of COVID, and we looked at, you know, particular areas that align in the strategic plan of the state board, you know, immediately we worked on child nutrition. We looked at student health and well-being. We looked at the digital divide. 
So we we looked at these specific pieces and and that bill uh, addressed those. But I think we've got this mindset that we're we're kind of through COVID. And I think we we fall into a trap there uh, because I feel like we're still in triage mode. We're we're still desperately needing to support our our students and our staff. I know my colleagues are, are talking about you know the human capital challenges, but where I see hope is that we are now as a state looking at ways to address long-standing challenges that we've had. There's a testing and accountability working group that's looking at innovative ways to address a, a, a almost like a menu of, of evaluation uh, opportunities to prove that a teacher is effective. We are looking and considering new ways to, to grade schools and to show like the story of a school, like what actually makes up a school, not just uh, growth and achievement, but what are all the other pieces? So how do we look at a global student life cycle from the moment they step into our classrooms as a pre-K or a kindergarten and look at that path as they work on these competencies, as we look at citizenship, and ultimately as we look at the connectedness that's gonna require for our students to be successful uh, and be workforce and career ready. So you, you've got all of these different groups. You've got, um, for, for one of the first times also, I think there's a, there's a real level of people listening. I, you know, I, I hope that coming out of the House Select Committee on the future of education, that we're able to have some really hard conversations about equity, about how we're serving our students' social emotional needs. But most of all, like how are we supporting them and helping them to be ready for this next level of life? I, I think we bifurcate sometimes in education, but you know that life cycle of a student doesn't just end when they graduate our schools. We can find good in even the worst of times. And we have had some really hard times these last couple of years, but I have hope that we have learned lessons. We have grown as educators and we have seen what works and what doesn't. And now we can take those, those uh, experiences and we can now take this opportunity to make the changes that need to be made uh, and, and have to be made in order to get our children where they need to be. And that is uh, as far as their personal goals can take them. And I say personal goals because each one of our children is different and to, to think that a um, one size fits all curriculum or one size fits all assessment um, can be equitable for all children, it just can't. And so we need to go back to the drawing board. We need to make sure that we are um, differentiating for our children, that we're meeting their needs where they are in their learning journey, and that we're assessing them in ways that are appropriate and can truly get to the bottom of where they are in that learning process. So I, I have hope. I have hope that, that we are going to be able to push through and make these things happen um, for such a time as this. And we are all here for this time and we're ready to stand together to make this happen. I am hopeful in having all of you work with our children every single day and knowing that you always remind me how many other phenomenal educators you each represent across our state and for always bringing it home to being about kids. So thank you so much for being here. After the break, this week's final word. 
We are so pleased to be joined by Dr. Dudley Flood, who is both legendary and a hero in education across North Carolina. Dudley worked for many decades to ensure that every student in North Carolina has access to a high quality and equitable education. And he is also the namesake of the Public School Forum's Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity. Dudley, welcome to our 200th episode. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you. It's such a privilege. I'd love to know what gives you pause and what gives you hope? The first 20 years of my educational career, we complained about apathy toward education. Uh, whether it were legitimate or not, that was our complaint. Nobody cares. I don't believe anybody can make that complaint now. Everybody cares. Uh, everybody is active. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has input, and um, I do believe everybody has a wish that education would be forthcoming for all the people. I'm not sure I've seen that before at the volume that I now see it. Uh, what gives me pause is I'm not sure that we yet have the formula for being able to discuss things on a basis without there being a notion that we have to fight about them. Uh, I think if we were able to have a procedure to which we could express our concerns, share our deliberations, share our anxieties in a peaceful setting, and that we didn't feel we had to be against something or someone, but in favor of something or someone. I wonder if there is a student or students that you always think about that helps drive you to continue this work. One young man who was um, my student when I taught middle grades, he finished eighth grade same time that I decided to go back to the high school to teach. And he thought I had followed him. He thought my reason for going back to the high school was to follow him. <laughs> I meddled in his business throughout that. Even when he became a professor, I meddled in his business and then we became assistant dean of the School of Education at North Carolina State. I meddled in his business then. Dr. Lee Stiff was that student. And then Dr. Lee Grier was the young man who I met when he was struggling to determine what he wanted to do with his life. And uh, I suggested to him that one thing he ought to do is to uh, see if he could motivate other people to think the way he was thinking. He felt out of place <laughs> because he was, he was projecting uh, that everybody ought to get a good education. And I suggested to him that people won't always remember what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. So put your personhood into what you're doing. Don't worry so much about your words. Get your language together because people scrutinize that, but put your personhood in. So he eventually ended up working with me at DPI for several years, and then he went on to East Carolina. One is the student from childhood and the other is the student from adulthood, each of which had the same set of personality traits. And that is they believed in what they were doing and they uh, needed a boost because what they were doing was so unique and peculiar for that time, that place, that they weren't always sure it would be accepted well. People need to become acquainted with themselves in great depth. And they need to 
realize that the first evaluation of person is yours. You decide. And when you've decided that, convince yourself that's who you are and that's what you are. And let other people determine whether they see that in you or not, but don't ever not see it in yourself. <laughs> so in each of these young people, Lee Stiff having been the son of, son of a farmer from Eastern North Carolina and never have, having had the perspective of what was possible for a young black kid. And Lee Grier, who had worked several years and felt he hadn't achieved what he thought was his measure to do so. One ingredient which they had in common was they had a personhood that they weren't giving. They were given knowledge, they were given strategies, but they weren't given themselves. So uh, I've, I've concluded that the greatest element of teaching is to be able to give oneself. Well, Dudley, I have to say, once an educator, always an educator. You're teaching us here today. And I love that idea of how do we give a boost, right? And how do we help someone see their path more clearly and understand themselves? So thank you so much for all your wisdom and for being a, you know, a recurring guest on the show, but it's perfect today for our 200th show. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today. And we'll see you next week.